Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Dear friends, thank you so much for joining us today on the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Frank and I are honored that you're here. Who am I? My name is John Russin. I'm the host for the podcast, and I'm here with my dear friend, Pastor Frank Friedman. He's two time zones away, but uh, we're still chatting as if we were right next door, aren't we, Frank? Yes, sir. What a joy to be living in this time such as this, Mordecai (laughs) said to Esther so long ago. Amen. Well, friends, we have just begun a series on the Epistle to the Colossians. So this is the second episode. And we did a little bit of introduction, talk a little bit about the background, and then we dove into the first couple of verses. And we talked about apostles. We talked about grace and peace. And Frank, we ended on this note. And I'm going to ask you to summarize this for our listeners. We ended on the note of the importance of hope the role that hope plays in the lives of the Colossian believers and the lives of the modern day believers. So refresh our memory, Frank, why is hope so important? Well, you know, John, we live in a world that can rob us of our hope. There are so many things that come against us. We have the power of sin. We have the flesh. We have the enemy, of course, the accuser, the slanderer. We have our own humanness. Uh, We have a fallen world that can knock us down, that can shatter our dreams, uh, frustrate our desires. And it's so easy to get discouraged and hurt and sorrowful. And then when we're in the midst of that, besides all that, we can let ourselves down. We can be seduced by a really great teaching that's got 98% truth in it. But that 2% of error can hide in there and then it it gets us. And before you know it, we're living in error. And and sometimes we just are little stinkers and we make the wrong choice. We know it's wrong. We do it anyway and we fall down. And so it's wonderful to have this glorious revelation in scripture called hope. And that is confidence. And our confidence is in Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done, independent of what we do, but we get to partake of who he is and what he has done by faith, because by faith we get placed in union with him. And that is a mind-boggling thought, that everything we bring to the union, he now possesses our weakness, our failures, our resources, But everything he brings to the union, we now possess his life, his strength, his peace, his joy. And this is our confidence. And boy, do we need that in the world we live in. Boy, we certainly do. And we talked about also, Frank, how how Paul approached these Colossian believers in his letter. He always has some issue to talk with them about, some bone to pick. 
but he doesn't begin with that. We talked about how he just stepped in and uh, praised them for their love and for their faith, said, hey, you got a great reputation. I heard about you all the way here in Rome. Your guys are doing a great job. And as we begin today, uh, we're going to pick up in verse six, and uh, he continues that attitude, Frank. He still doesn't go after the issues, but he does this. He says, hey, the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing in you as it does among you since the day you heard it and you understood the grace of God in truth. Now, I want to stop there, Frank, just for a moment. And I want to pick up on the phrase, uh, the gospel is increasing, bearing fruit and increasing. Now, you and I know that you know, we tend to think of the gospel, many of us do anyway, as just a one-time shot. Hey, here's the gospel. Jesus died for you. Do you want to trust him as your life, as your savior? And we tend to look at it as a little snapshot, but it really isn't, is it? Paul describes the gospel as a living, growing, expanding experience, a life, if you will. So What's your take on the gospel, Frank? Does it increase? And if so, how does it look in the life of a believer? Oh, John. Well, you know, one of the things we have in the scripture is a revelation spoken by Jesus himself that it is finished. Later on in chapter two, we're going to learn that the fullness of God dwells in Christ and then Christ lives in us, so he has made us complete and perfect in him. So it's done, and yet (laughs) there's a journey. And the journey, though, is not to acquire more or to achieve more, but maybe we would put it best to experience the more of what we already possess. I might go to Ephesians 1 for this, John, in verses 13 and 14, where it says, God, the Holy Spirit, is the down payment of our inheritance. And if you look at that verse, you say, wait a minute, God is a down payment of more to come? How can you have more to come if you already have God in all of his fullness? And John, you know, the only way I can come to grips with that is that God himself is infinite. So even though I have all of him, I'll always be entering into more of him, understanding more of him. There's no way as a finite creature, even in heaven, that I'm ever going to fully be able to understand that which I contain in containing God. This is where that word of mystery comes in. How does an infinite being live in a finite being? I don't know, (laughs) but it's it's the truth. And so I'm going to believe it and spend an eternity going wow. And I think what Paul is saying, let's start saying and experience that wow even now. (laughs) Yeah, it certainly is. When we understand the gospel that way, that it's an ever-increasing understanding of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, it makes us look at grace differently too, doesn't it? You know, we tend to to look at grace as the same little discrete thing. You know, we talked about this last time, being raised a Catholic, that grace comes in, uh, in specific times and sacraments in your life. 
but that's not the way it is at all. You know, we talk about growing in grace. And so how do you ever outgrow the person who is grace, who happens to be God? Uh, mm. It's just amazing. You can't ever learn all there is to learn about the grace of God. And I can only imagine looking at eternity in the future, ever learning more about how gracious my Savior truly is. Uh, wow, it's a, it's inspiring because it it helps me be encouraged uh, mm -hmm. to get up off my bottom when I happen to fall and stand again and say, well, you know, there's grace for this, and I want to do better next time. I'm going to trust uh, the grace who is a person, Jesus Christ. I'm going to trust grace to make this possible in my life. It really changes our attitude, doesn't it? Oh, John, sure it does. You know. I've been teaching the grace of God now for many, many, many years. And of late, I've just been overwhelmed by the grace and love of God. And I share that with people and they look at me and they're like, what are you talking about? I'm just understanding and experience the more of what I've already had and been telling people about myself. I use this phrase, I'm in the process of being subdued by the love and grace of God. Did you ever see Pride and Prejudice, John? I don't think I did. Oh, my goodness. It's a romantic English movie. It's probably why I didn't see it. <laughs> it's if, not if your it cup of tea. If, if it doesn't have <laughs> aliens or explosions in it, I probably am not drawn to it. <laughs> well, in the movie, this guy and this girl are playing, uh, oh, Who's going to surrender to love is the way I would put it. Each is self-protective. Each is guarded. But each is falling deeply in love with the other. And finally, they succumb to it. And Mr. Darcy says to the girl of his dreams, you have bewitched me. I am undone by you. And I guess, John, that's what I think God wants to do with every one of us. He wants to make us undone with the greatness of his love and grace and mercy so that we would never be the same. Wow, what a great thought, Frank. And when I think about that, I get even more excited because grace doesn't stop there. Grace is a person indwells us. And because Jesus indwells us, he enables us to become and to do all that God desires to accomplish in our lives. So it's not only an intimate relationship, it's, it's one that actually bears fruit. It does things. It translates into doing what the most loving, the most constructive, the most redemptive thing for someone. It motivates us and empowers us to do that. So yes, it's an intimate relationship, where we're captivated, but boy, it's an empowering relationship too that lets us be able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Wow. Pretty cool stuff, my friend. Mm, yeah, love. His love is a, a transforming love. I remember reading a book, John, years ago in my cemetery days, but it really rocked me to the core. It was a commentary on Song of Solomon, and it was written by a single guy. 
And it was amazing to me that a single guy would have that kind of insight into the book, which is the Holy Spirit inspired design for marital love. But in there, he shared a story. He said, you know, in high school, he and his friends, the members of the Girl Watchers Brigade, would always show up early on the first day of school to see (laughs) what beautiful new girl might have moved to town. And he said, I think it was in his junior year, they were all going goo-goo over this one girl that had showed up. And they were like, wow, look at her. I wonder who she is and where did she come from? And then one of them said, guys, that's so-and-so. And they were all like, what? No way. That can't be her. They were referring to a girl that had been in school with them all their lives from elementary, junior high into this now junior year of high school. And they said, what'd she do? And one of them said, I heard she found a boyfriend over the summer. And he used that illustration to say, love transformed that girl. Yeah. And he said it was too late for all of us. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But, you know, it's not too late for any of us to be transformed by the love of God in our own lives. It's a transforming love. Indeed it is. And you know, Frank, that same thought Paul carries on through the rest of this section, he continues his prayer and he's already complimented them. He's praised them. You're doing a great job. Your hope, your love, your faith is well known everywhere. And then he steps into, hey, now I'm going to pray for you now. This is how I pray for you. And he prays this, that you may be, and this is the first phrase, filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So he's beginning to address the issues in the church, but he's doing so by praying that they'll know God and they'll have deep wisdom and understanding. So the solution to their problem begins, Frank, and I think this is true for all of us. The solution to our problem begins with knowing more about God and then Mm. all else could follow. Did I get that right? Am I on the right track? I think you are. And John, you know, it sparks my brain back to the Ephesian letter, which we know these are sister letters. Yes. Both written when Paul was in prison. But he said much the same thing in a prayer for the Ephesian believers. And this is what he said. He said, since I've heard of your faith, I cease not praying for you. Boy, that's familiar language, isn't it? That the God of our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So it's the very same request that I'm praying that you would know God, that your eyes of your heart would be enlightened. You would know the hope of his calling in your life the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And then uh, he started preaching and picked up his prayer again in chapter three. (laughs) But there again, he picks up the prayer and he says that you would be strengthened with power by his spirit in the inner man. This is an amazing thought, John. We always ask for power to do something, power to fight temptation, power to go witness, power to resist sin, yada, yada. But this is for the power to know that Christ would dwell in your hearts and you would be able to understand the height, breadth, length, and depth 
of the love of God. And here's the part that I'm just thrilled with that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the fullness of God. So by the power of the spirit, Paul is praying that we would know that which can't be known. And that is the plan of God for us to be restored to unconditional love. Oh my goodness. I I was talking with a friend of mine, John, and just today, And he said these words. He said, you know, when somebody really understands the gospel, in our modern church, we have them pray a sinner's prayer. And you know what that is, you know? Oh, yeah. And he says, I really think we should just have them pray this prayer. And I said, what's that? And he said, wow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You know, listening to you talk, my friend, I guess in the back of my mind, I know all this, but it just sort of dawned on me once again, how common are Paul's encouragements throughout his epistles. And when you look at all the issues he dealt with throughout all the epistles that he wrote, occasionally he goes after a specific issue. And when he does, he does so forcefully. But more often than not, he gives instructions in very broad strokes and he begins with things like this. Hey, you guys need to know God richly and deeply. I'm going to pray for you to get wisdom because when you know God deeply and richly, he's going to tell you how to live. He's going to tell you how to get out of the messes that you get yourself in. Uh, So he Mm -hmm. doesn't really on almost every occasion step in to fine tune He leaves a lot of the fine-tuning to the Holy Spirit. His focus is, hey, set your mind on your Mm. Father. Set your mind on Jesus and let him teach you what's right about your life and what you need to change. You know, wow, what a great encouragement that is. And this is exactly what he says. He says, Mm. I pray that you'll be filled with the knowledge of his will. Why? So you'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully Mm. pleasing to him. Frank, this is exactly what we're talking about, isn't it? Yeah, John, as I was listening to you, I had this thought. The modern church, and I'm, I'm not throwing stones, please don't hear me say that, but I do want to correct because we do want to walk in truth and not error. But so often in the modern church, we hear, get your walk right, and then you'll know. But he doesn't do it in that order. He doesn't say, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord so that you will have wisdom and understanding into the things of God. He doesn't do that. He says, I'm going to pray that you have wisdom and understanding into the things of God so that, purpose clause, you can finally bear fruit. We don't bear fruit by trying to bear fruit. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) We, We bear fruit. By living in an intimate and dynamic love relationship with God. And that's what we need to gain understanding into. Recently at Grace Life, I've been teaching on the Trinity. And the reason is that, you know, I had a friend of mine years ago and he said, he, he went to the East and the, the monks in the East told him these words. 
They said, spend the rest of your life meditating on the Trinity. And by the end of your life, you just might start to understand Christianity. And so I was, he told me this years ago. And, and so recently I've been meditating on the Trinity. And, you know, the thing that hits me, John, is in the book of Genesis, when God gives his first self-revelation, he says that he is an us. Yes. He says in Genesis 1:26, let us make man in our image. And this just leapt off the page at me. It was huge. God is, we know that he is an isness, but his isness is an usness. He exists in relationship. He exists in a fellowship and a friendship of love between the three persons of the Godhead. So then he makes us, that's hands-on. He didn't call us into being like he did everything else. He spoke and it was so. With us, God was hands-on. He made us. And then he brought us up to his face in intimacy and breathed life into us. And, and all of this speaks of intimacy and fellowship. And he says, this is our image. And so it's just been reverberating in my brain. We were made for intimate fellowship with God. And, and we were made for friendship with God. And, and we were made for intimate friendship and fellowship with each other. And the only way we're ever going to live the dynamic lives that all of us want to live is, is get the source right. We don't manufacture intimate fellowship and friendship. It, it, we can't produce it. It's, it's something we possess from God that we then release to others. And so Paul here is just going after, get this thing in the right order. Get restored to love, and you'll walk in love. Uh, bottom line, we can't get what we don't have, and there's only one place to get it. That's right. You mentioned a key word there, Frank. You said intimacy. The whole act of creation was, was just an act of intimacy. And so when I look at this phrase, when we're filled with wisdom and knowledge and understanding, we will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. The ultimate expression of that is, am I walking intimately with my mm. father? Am I walking intimately with my savior? Do I hear his still small voice? Do I hear his very whispers? Because when I'm doing that, then I am fully pleasing to him. And you know, Frank, as my mind runs with that thought, I think of all of the ways that the modern church likes to prescribe behavior for believers. We walk a certain way. We have certain laws or patterns or behaviors. But the truth is that when we walk based on wisdom and understanding, when we walk based on intimacy, he will guide us in ways that are unique to us, to our mindset, to our personalities guide us in ways that reflect his life expressed through our preferences, our dislikes, our desires. And so this is so cool because just as he creates each person individually, each is unique. His life is expressed through each unique person in a unique 
way. So there's no pattern. There's none of this, what would Jesus do? And following that set of dance steps, this is an intimate walk that takes us wherever the spirit might want to lead us. What a teaching that is so freeing because it lets us be who God created us to be. Wow. Mm. Yeah. And when I look at that phrase, John, bearing fruit, you know, there's two key passages that pop in my brain. One is, of course, the uh, one in John 15, where our only responsibility is to abide in the vine. It's, it's so simple. That's, that's why I love what Paul says here. You're going to increase in the knowing of him. That's intimacy. That's the vine connection. Strengthened with all power. Whose power? His power. His glorious might, uh, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, raises us now. It's a power of love. So it's steadfast. It's patient. It's joyful. All of those are all attributes right out of, or characteristics right out of 1 Corinthians 13. And then we stand in awe, verse 12, thanksgiving to God who has brought us in to this light when we were in such darkness and it, it's mind-boggling. And the other verse that just was screaming at me while you were talking was the one in Romans, chapter 7, where he used the idea of marriage and that we died in our marriage to the law so that we could be married to the one who rose from the dead. And there again is that purpose clause, so that you may finally bear fruit. We never bore any fruit following the law. No. We never bore any fruit trying harder to bear fruit. Branches don't produce fruit. They only bear it. And, you know, in one illustration, he used a branch with a vine. In another, he used marital intimacy. Uh, they both speak of the same, same thing, John. It's, it's intimate union. And union with the one who is life and his life is righteous love. As we said earlier, John, wow. Yeah, wow. You know, listening to you talk, Frank, and I'm looking at this phrase, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. I started thinking about the fact that Jesus never mentions that there are different grades of fruit. You know, the, the person who becomes a missionary and spends 40 years overseas translating scripture into a native language, the person who becomes a pastor, the person who, re, who writes a commentary, does all these great things, their fruit isn't distinguished by Jesus any more than a brand new believer who chooses to listen to, to the spirit inside of him and not do some silly, sinful behavior he's been doing his whole life. You know, the magnitude of, of the fruit is the same because in both cases, they are simply trusting their father. And of course, the understanding will increase in time. The amount of fruit will increase in time. But the quality of the fruit is always the same. I find that fascinating that it's simply, are you trusting your father? Are you walking intimately with him and letting his life produce in you the changes that he wants to see? 
Mm. Uh, I, I get really encouraged with that because mm-hmm. it can be overwhelming, Frank, for many people to say, well, I could never be a commentary writer or a big passer or whatever their, their uh, standard for excellence might happen to be. But you don't have to be that. All you have to be is someone who will say, yes, sir, and take an intimate step with your father and then let him bear the fruit through you. Wow. That means that a three-year-old child who learns to sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, and believes it in her heart is bearing as much fruit mm. as, as, a, as somebody who spends 40 years translating scripture in Africa. Wow. Yeah, you know, John, we tend to look at the economy of a believer, uh, the church or the spiritual life through the lens of the physical world. And so we're always prone to think performance and outcome and outcome in terms of statistical quantity. What can we Uh, measure? How many, how many did you baptize this year? How big is your Sunday school grown? Oh yeah. Yeah. And in Galatians five and passages like this one in Colossians one and Ephesians one and three, we learn that fruit of the spirit it's singular by the way it's not fruits it's fruit it's the life and the life the fruit is a life of love and joy peace patience gentleness meekness kindness self-control all these things and so it's not that you're producing a commentary or winning hundreds of converts it's the expression of the life of god through your uniqueness that's the fruit And so that person writing the commentary or preaching the evangelist crusade is expressing the life just the same as the person working in the nursery changing diapers and the person who's mopping the floor after everyone leaves. It's not a quantity. It's a quality of life. And it's the life of God been placed in man in union with our spirit to be expressed through the man to the world so that the world can look at us and say, oh, so that's what God is like. Those people know God. I see it in the way they live. And just some of those things right here, steadfastness, patience, joy, thanksgiving, light, wisdom, understanding. Those are not achievements those are qualities of life yeah they're not badges they're not plaques they're not trophies in fact when you've racked up all of those frank i can look at you from the outside and i can't really tell you have them because they're part of who you are becoming Mm. as a child of god your maturing process you're learning to trust him as you as you walk intimately with him and this verse here says being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. You know, he equips us because sometimes we're going to need to suck it up and put our nose to the grindstone because we have to endure. Sometimes Mm. we have to have incredible patience, but it's all part of his work in our life to bear fruit because Mm. everything he sends, everything he allows through the hedge to our life is designed so that we will bear fruit, bear Mm. much fruit. Mm. Yeah, God wants to express his life through our life. I don't mean to be redundant, 
but wow. But how can you uh, not be redundant? You know, this is, <laughs> this is uh, like the digest, the capsule of the Christian life in, in a half dozen verses right here. Mm-hmm. And the final end, my friend, and we're going to sort of wrap up with this, is after all of this, we give thanks to the Father. Because none of it is a result of anything that we've done any choices we've made, any actions we've taken, every sin we didn't commit, none of it originates with us. It all originates to our Father, with our Father Mm. who motivates us from the inside, his life in us, expressing through us, to evidence this patience, this joy, this endurance, to walk in light, to walk in freedom, all of these are part of the fruit that he is born in us as a result of our choosing to pursue intimacy. Mm. Wow. Mm. Okay, my friend, we are wrapping up our episode today. Give us your pastoral wisdom as we finish up this section. What's it all mean? Give us a take (laughs) home, man. Well, I think in these first 14 verses, I would try to put a synopsis this way, John. Do you understand who Jesus is? And then do you understand who you are in him? And then having understood those two things, now let's talk about how to live and how not to live. And I think that's where he's going to take us in the rest of the book. I think it is. Once the foundation has to be laid, though, you can't talk about how to live without the source being laid down first. That's right. Foundation needs to be first. So uh, once again, Paul has masterfully approached this situation with people he really hasn't met because he didn't Mm. start this church. Epaphras probably started it. So he's just pouring his life. It's really cool, Frank. He's pouring his life into these believers whom he hasn't even seen yet. Mm. Wow. What a heart of compassion in our brother Paul. Well, friends, thanks so much for joining us on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Frank and I have been chugging through the epistle to the Colossians, and we're about through verse 12. So come back next time. We'll pick it up at that point. Please check out our website. You'll find us at OurResoluteHope.com. There's lots of cool stuff there. I don't know when you'll hear this, but we're in the process of revamping the thing from top to bottom. So give us a look pop us an email, let us hear from you. Sign up for our newsletter. We've got lots of materials we'd love to share with you. Check out as well all of our other social media platforms. We have a Facebook page, an Instagram page. Uh, Our YouTube channel is all there for your enrichment. And as always, we close with the same reminder, week in, week out, because it never gets old. It comes from Hebrews chapter 6, a reminder that no matter what we face, we have a hope as an anchor for our souls. Peter calls it a living hope. Frank and I call it a resolute hope, a steadfast, immovable, rock-solid hope. And this hope is a person. Our hope is Jesus. So today and always, choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you, as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.